Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. We're so glad to have you along here today. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about because we've got some great things that are going to be happening toward the end of the month today. And our thanks to the fine folks at Numismatics Auctions, LLC, and hopefully get a chance to uh, speak with Steve Davis, who has uh, been busy getting his auction lots ready to go for this upcoming sale. Later on in the program, we're going to welcome in our special guest, who is Holly Rotundi, who is the Executive Director of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial, and that is the organization that stands to benefit from the upcoming commemorative coin program. So those are some of the uh, highlights we've got coming your way here today. And it, we're it's not all of them, though. I mean, we've got some, some interesting stuff. I know I've been busy, but I'm pretty sure you've been busy as well as far as numismatics go, because you're the face of this bad boy, and I'm sure you've had a few... Uh, a few letters and books and, and things that are interesting here. Yeah, that's not much of a setup anyway. Well, uh, <clears throat> hey, uh, we did have a listener reach out right after catching the last episode where I was talking about the uh, World Money Fair in Berlin. Ernesto Aguiar asked, um, Basically, you know, he just finished listening, you know, Larry, and you always do a great job. I'm a planning I'm planning to attend the 2025 show in Berlin. That is this would be my first visit. And I wanted to ask what advice and or tips you would have for a newcomer. And I responded. I said, well, you know, it, to answer that, I need to know what you collect and what your goal of attending the show is. What do you hope to get out of it? Uh, and um, Ernesto responded, he collects mostly modern world and U.S. coins for the U for the world coins. I tend to buy only coins that are precious metals, not only bullion coins, but also commemorative. I'm hoping to find coins that aren't usually available in the U.S., uh, plus visit some World Mint booths that may not come over to the States. I hope that helps. So I wanted to address that. Um, we certainly welcome your uh, comments, thoughts, questions, and all that whoever's listening, um, Ernesto, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, this show is enormous, and everywhere you turn, there's going to be uh, something you odds are may not have seen in the U.S., or certainly, uh, you certainly, there's a lot there that you won't see at a U.S. coin show, right? Um, the Germania Mint uh, products, are available through some distributors in the U.S., but you can go see the Germania Mint booth. They had a booth at the uh, ANA uh, World's Fair of Money last August, but that was, I think, the first time they had done that. Um, other there's other mints, you know, uh, like I was able to pick up a one ounce silver bullion coin from San Marino with Peregrine Falcon, brand new coin, new program. You're not going to see that in the U.S. You, you're, th there's just dozens, several dozen, I should say, booths where you're going to see stuff that is hard to find or very unlikely to, that you'll come across it in the U.S. So uh, the show organizers put out a program in the week or two ahead of the show. It is it is usually, I don't want to call that last minute. That's not last minute, but it from a planning standpoint, 
um, you have a couple days at least before you would um, leave the U.S. to go to the show uh, to review the program and get a sense of where the booths are. Uh, a lot of the special, and you may not want these. There's there was um, Belgium and Japan and the Netherlands. They all had in Spain. They all had special annual sets that they were selling that were only available at that show. Some had low mintages, and there there's some immediate demand in the aftermarket for those. If you want to play that game, uh, you know you need to see what's there and and plan accordingly. Um, one key, absolute key, is uh, have have lots of euros. Uh, you know, it's not like you're going to be able to write a check. I've been to plenty of U.S. coin shows, and hey, will you take my check? And, you know, there's there's a lot of dealers out there who are more than happy to do that, uh, certainly if you have an established relationship, but that's not going to work in this case. There is an ATM at the Estrell Convention Center, but you don't want to be tapping it on Saturday afternoon, and, you know, maybe there's a line, maybe it's tapped already it's run out i don't know how frequent they <laughs> fill that so you're going to want to have a lot of euros and uh you know just it's it's impossible to go to that show without seeing stuff that you you're not used to seeing uh there's a lot of base metal stuff out there i know that's not your interest so uh you can look at the collector type stuff but you know you're you're gonna if you're looking for new stuff, you're going to pay brand new from the mint sort of from the d distributor prices. If you're looking for older stuff, you can spend more time digging and, uh, you know, there's there's some booths that just have piles of world silver and they sell by the gram. In this case, I want to say uh, I saw that booth this year and it was 95 euro cents per gram so that's pretty high that's you know a, a, an ounce of silver is 31 grams roughly so you're talking you know 32 dollars 30 30 to 32 dollars an ounce for silver at that rate but you can dig you can find some stuff uh there's certainly a truism i think uh, of this show and, and all shows really is there there are dealers that are super organized and the more organized I have found a booth is the less likely you're going to be able to find a bargain you're certainly the the dealer is going to be asking market price because it takes more time to get that stuff organized. This is a frustration of mine. I had this with uh, the St. Louis show I just went to uh, since the last episode. There there was uh, so many dealers where stuff's just not priced. And, you know, when you're looking through, in the one case, binders of, of world coins and two-by-twos and there's no pricing on it, I'm not going to pull that out of a binder and then ask for a price and and, you know, you know, you at the end here, here's a stack of stuff and then not like the price and then have to hunt those binders down and put them back. Uh, conversely, if they had been all priced, there was a lot of stuff this dealer had that was a little stronger that I felt than, than market, certainly more than I was willing to pay for. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, dealers who don't 
value their inventory enough to take the time to price it. I don't value their inventory enough to take the time to shop it. And um, so you encounter that. And that's, I mean, that's real. That's reality, whether you're in the U.S., whether you're in a European show. Uh, some folks just have piles. Some folks have the nice organized uh, offerings. So um, just be prepared to dig. Be prepared with lots of cash. Uh, think about, you know, the, you know, maybe you wanted the uh, Perth mints. I think it was Perth. No, it was a Royal Australian mints special. No, what? I guess it was Perth. Sorry. <laughs> special Kookaburra coin. Now they, they did accept credit cards, but I don't, you know, I don't know if a U.S. credit card is going to cause problems versus, you know, Sebastian uh, there in Germany, he was able to use his card. Right. So, uh, just be prepared, map out a strategy, think about, you know, prioritize. These are the dealers I want to see first. These are the dealers I want to see second tier. And then plan for at least two days, at least Friday, Saturday. And, uh, you know, you may find some bargains on Sunday that last day. Um, although the, I see less incentive, less of that than maybe at a U.S. show where, uh, you know, there's uh, dealers are pretty, I don't want to say firm, but there's, I don't know that there's as much wiggle room. Certainly depends on how much cash you're flashing at them and willing to spend. Those are some thoughts about how you prepare for the World Money Fair, though. Hope that helps uh, a little bit. Well, I certainly hope it helped our uh, listener and thank you for the uh, letter because it definitely helped me and I hope to get the chance to get there. Now, I feel like I'm a little more prepared for this. Right now, I'm kind of preparing because I've registered for the Numismatic Auctions LLC sale coming up at the end of the month. As a matter of fact, I do have Steve Davis on the phone right now. Hi, Steve. Hi, Larry. It's great to speak with you again. We at Numismatic Auctions LLC are very excited about our upcoming auction sale number 68. The sale takes place this month, February 26th, 27th, and 28th, each day opening at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with lots selling until they close. The sale features nearly 1,600 lots in all, starts off with U.S. coins with a collection of nearly 1,000 U.S. large cents. Yeah, that's right, 1,000. U.S. large cents. We go on from there, small cents to Morgan dollars. We have the keys. We have the 93S. We have the Carson City issues. We have a number of type coins, great collector coins throughout this series. From there, we move into the American Eagles in gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. That's right, we're throwing all of it in there, even including the kitchen sink. This sale is a really, really wonderful auction. Closing out the series is the Dan Freeland Collection of National Commemorative Medals, which has some great rarities, including the Jim Thorpe issues. And it closes with an Alaskan token, a new discovery piece on the Gold Rush period for a military base. This piece is unbelievable, a $1 good for, previously unknown. Going to the end of the session with Canadian coins, banknotes, gold, and tokens. Day two will feature world gold coins, ancient, and the world from Albania to Great Britain. 
which also includes China, featuring a Birds Over Junk dollar and the entire series of Queen's Beast coins in 2-ounce, 5-ounce, 10-ounce, and kilo, including gold. The third session, which will feature Greece to Zanzibar and our miscellaneous section, which will have world paper, world tokens and medals, and large lots of world coins. The sale is absolutely fabulous top to bottom. There's something for everyone. If you have $75 or $100 to spend, or if you're looking to spend $25,000 or $30,000 on a coin, we have those coins in this sale. We thank you for your interest, Larry, and I hope that you've enjoyed a little overview of auction sale number 68, www.numismaticauctionsllc.com. Thanks, and have a great day. So keep in mind, three sessions going to be happening 26th, the 27th, and 28th of February. That's auction sale 68. You can find out more information about them at uh, Numismatic Auctions, LLC. And uh, that includes the first session, 535 lots in U.S. and Canada, lots 536 through 1054 on the second day, and then all the way to lot 1559 on the final day. And we'll give you, a, once again, a reminder at the conclusion how you can get in touch, get yourself registered, and, and see some of the unique items that they have to sale in Numismatic Auctions, LLC. Well, looking at the future, you know, invariably we put a speed bump in here and start looking at the past. So what do you got for us today? Well, <laughs> hey, um, I, before I want to before I get to the um, this week in numismatic history and this week in coin world history, I want to mention something else. OK, uh, while in while in Germany, I picked up a book by David Gran. Uh, author of Killers of the Flower Moon. That's just, of course, uh, been turned into a movie in the last year or so. Um, this book is called The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. And, you know, like a lot of coin guys, I, I love history. I, I thought, this is great. I need something to read on my flight the day I'm flying back. Actually, it took a little longer than that. I finished it up in the days after returning. Uh but I got to recommend this. I know this is not numismatic necessarily, uh, but it's it's a fun story. This uh, this book is about a a ship that wrecked in 1741. It set sail from Portsmouth in the United Kingdom, and it was one of the ships that was part of Captain Anson's circumnavigation of the globe. And as I read this, I, I, you know, the antenna raised up and went, wait a minute, this is, there's, I can bring this to numismatic somehow. And of course, um, there, there is a famous British medal, maybe not famous, certainly I had heard about it before. I may have written about it. I've certainly seen it in British auctions. Uh, there's a medal that was issued to celebrate Anson's circumnavigation of the globe. But that's not all. There are famous silver and gold coins from the 1740s from the Royal Mint with the word Lima on them. Lima indicating the metal coming from Peru, which was then a center of precious metal mining in uh, the Americas. And uh, I come to find out, you know, there, there's this um, sort of 
apocryphal, it appears, legend that this gold was spirited away from uh, the the ships that were hauling this back to Spain and, and the Spanish-English um, dance. <laughs> there, there, there was a, a struggle for control, certainly in the Southern Hemisphere and, and globally, uh, Spain and England, there was a lot of friction there and a lot of it came down to um, the entanglements, if you will, in the New World. And uh, the, so the coins are famous and this all relates to this period covered in the book. So I thought that was that was too cool not to mention. Uh, I don't want to give anything away of the book uh, other than that, but uh, fun, fun time reading it. It was uh, really cool. And somebody's into world history, uh, certainly shipwreck type stuff, not your shipwreck with, um, you know, millions of dollars of, of treasure to be harvested later. Uh, but it, it, it's it's worth checking out. So anyway. Yeah. Well, give us that title again. That is The Wager. Subtitle is A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny and Murder. Okay. By I didn't, David I didn't, Green. I didn't catch it on the first go round. Now I got it. Thank you. Okay. And uh, I should note, I saw online in looking this up, um, you know, Bran, the author of that and Killers of the Flower Moon, which has been made into a movie. This has also been optioned to be a movie. So read it now before the movie comes out, maybe in a few years. So uh, anyway, uh, let's get to. This week in numismatic history. Okay. With, okay. With, uh, what? Okay. A, right there. A you, US I gotta, focus. I got to stop you though. I got to stop okay. you though. So what you're saying is go get the wager because it may be a movie. So what you're saying is buy the book before you watch the movie. Yes. Yes. Okay. Kind of. And and then once you've read the book, you can go look for those Lima coins and maybe even that Anson circumnavigation medal. So but buy the book first. Yes, absolutely. Uh, heartily recommend it. And uh, I will say I have already promised my copy to our good friend of the podcast, former host, Chris Bullfinch. I am sending uh, him this copy, the, the one that I just read. I think he'll enjoy it, too. So that that's how much, you know, I haven't talked about books in a long time. Um, and that's really not numismatic. But like I say, there's always a thread of numismatics that you can find anywhere. So now wait a minute here. You mean to tell me that you're going to send this book to Chris? Is he going to send you a book in return? Is it going to be an exchange here? Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't asked for anything in return. I, I would, I would Chris, if you're listening, I would uh, have a book ready because I think it's only fair that you send Jeff back a book. That's what it is. I mean, it's got to be fair trade here. Otherwise, he's going to have an empty spot in his library and you're going to be overflowed. So uh, we're both overflowing with yeah, books. Yeah. Let me I got I got to reach out to Chris about his upcoming story. So I'll, I'll remind him about sending yeah. you a book. Well, anyway, anyway, let's get back on track here with uh, hey. what we have. So yes. yeah, let's uh, let's look at a couple U.S. topics uh, this week in numismatic history. We go to February fifteenth. What happened that day? Well, in nineteen seventy-two, that's when then President Richard Nixon signed legislation authorizing the production of official National Bicentennial Medal. Uh, somebody who's paid enough attention to the landscape might know that uh, this medal exists in silver 
and gold. And there's also, I think, uh, a bronze version. Um, there was a whole suite of medals issued in bronze and silver. Uh, there was this official National Bicentennial Medal, the one with the Statue of Liberty on it, though, that is in the three versions, uh, the aforementioned versions. The, um, the gold one is... There was somebody who was on the market, like trying to corner them uh, several years ago, certainly snapping them, them up when they became available, uh, advertising even, I think, that that he was buying them. Um, the silver one's readily available. You can find it on eBay. I, I just got thinking that was neat because here we are a few years out of the 150th anniversary, the semi-quasquicentennial, I think, something like that. <laughs> And um, so, you know, there's Coin Rule has been covering the progress toward uh, coinage and numismatic um, offerings that will mark that anniversary in two years. And uh, so that stood out to me. Also, as an aside, let's uh, let's give you a twofer. February 17th, 1913. We're going to stay in the U.S. That was. Uh, the day that the first Indian head or buffalo five-cent coin, buffalo nickel, was struck for circulation. So a landmark design, famous famous design, much loved, uh, a workhorse denomination, often encountered, uh, worn, certainly the dates wear off uh, easily. Um, one of the one of my favorites, the buffalo nickel, 1913, February 17th. Good to so, you. I've started picking up some of those rascals, so I totally understand the attraction on that. So cool. So now I suppose I should take a look at this week in Coin World history, eh? That'll work. Uh, and we're looking this week at the February 13th, 1995 issue of Coin World. 1995, I chose that because that was the 50th anniversary of World War II, which is the subject of Larry's interview in just a little bit. Uh, what was a story in that issue? Well, the, the one I wanted to highlight, I thought was most interesting, battle-related, is headline, Countdown Begins for Civil War Kickoff, and the story alerts readers that collectors can begin ordering proof and uncirculated 1995 Civil War battlefield $5 gold half eagles, silver dollars, and copper nickel clad half dollars from the U.S. Mint beginning March 31st. It also then lays out all the various uh, pre-issue and regular issue prices and the packaging and set versions and all that. Um, this is a one of those unsung commemoratives, uh, in my mind, uh, sort of gets overlooked because, you know, the mid-90s, there was just a crush of commemoratives and it led to the um, scaling back the limitation on commemoratives in the U.S. with a law that said you can only have two programs a year. Uh, but this that wasn't the case at this time. These three coins, though, um, have some, I think they're, it's, a, it's an important topic. We very well could have had World War II 50th anniversary coins that year um, instead, but, you know, instead we get 130th anniversary of the Civil War uh, conclusion. Not exactly a clean and neat 
uh, anniversary, but uh, nonetheless, uh, certainly I found it interesting. So that's what uh, I wanted to highlight from the issue. Well, our readers uh, were very uh, informed and very on top of things, catching a few errors, but those were errors from almost 30 years ago. Well, the topics that we have that we should be interested in here, one of these says coins should be legal. It says, I'm writing in response to the person who asked about the 1964 D peace dollar. Yes, absolutely. This coin should be legal and have a legal status so collectors can own and enjoy this coin. The same can be said about the 1933 $20, the 1974 aluminum cent, and others. These coins were all products of the mint and have history behind them. These coins are representative of the changing history of our coinage and of our country. I cannot understand the attitude of the Treasury Department. Is there anything collectors can do to help legalize these coins? As a collector, writer, and researcher, I can think of no more historic coins than these so-called illegal coins. There is no reason why ownership of these treasures should be denied. That's from Ginger Rapsis of Oaklawn, Illinois. And then here's another letter that says the U.S. Mint has a golden opportunity to create a new series of U.S. dollars comparable to our old U.S. Morgan dollars simply by striking the various U.S. Mint marks on brilliant, uncirculated American eagles. A series not only would be sought after by today's collectors, but by those 100 years from now, too. Keep distribution same as BU American Eagles are the only U.S. Mint product reasonably priced and able to maintain value forever. From George Kinder out of Dunlap, Iowa. So there you have some variety in the 1995 letters back in the February 13th issue. How about that? Mm -hmm. So, hey, um, I think it's time to put you to the test, eh? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, it's trivia time. We're at that point in the show. And last episode, because we were uh, talking about Berlin, I asked you a question about the coins that were struck at the Berlin Mint and wanted to know what its mint mark is. That was what? at the Berlin Mint. Yes, the Berlin Mint. Okay. All you right. know this. I know you bought, you and Michelle have bought coins um, and you've looked for coins based on the mint mark, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You bought it's, these German uh, coins. Yeah, so, it's the, yeah, primarily the collection we're looking for is based on the German coins. So Berlin. So, well, Berlin is A. I mean, there's A, B, there's all kinds. of Berlin is A. Well, you're right. I, I was I was hoping you might think, oh, Berlin, it's got to be a B, right? No. B for Berlin. But Germany has five different mints, and they all have uh, different mint marks. And it doesn't, they're not, um, they're not analogous to the place name, you know, like C for uh charlotte or cc for carson city or or d for denver p for philadelphia they they uh, use a different system but a the main mint the large mint the mother mint if you will i uh, believe uh is berlin so you got that right yeah because we've had that argument it's like that was a question she asked as a relative newbie in the 
numismatics, it's like, well, why isn't it B? And so it's like, just because it's not, and then that quieted her down and we moved on. So. All right. All right. So um, now I, I can't help but think of the Civil War coins I just referenced. And I got a good one. I, I think this is a, this is a toughie. I don't uh, begrudge you if you don't get it. I don't. It's uh, it wouldn't. It's not an expert level question on the coin world trivia game because the trivia game didn't exist at the time. You know, the, the, this this post dates the trivia game, I should say. But I want to know which famous Civil War artist designed those the obverse of those three 1995 Civil War battlefield coins. And um, it's it's neat that this has sort of a crossover appeal to folks in the Civil War space. You don't have to be a coin collector necessarily to know this name and uh, and maybe even be intrigued enough to get the coin. So huh. that's your question. Okay. All right. Well, it seems like we're talking a lot about conflict and uh, we're going to be also talking about conflict as we have our special guest here today, who is the executive director of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial, and that is Holly Rotundi. Holly's going to shed some light on the organization, on the memorial itself, on uh, the experiences that she's had here recently as uh, this, this memorial is uh, very important to all of us here and the, uh, the mindset of our nation back at the time when we were into that conflict. I mean, your recent visit to Pearl Harbor is, you know, just case in point on that one right there. But uh, so right now, let's uh, take this opportunity to welcome in our guest for today. This is Holly Rotundi, who is the executive director of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial. The Coin World Podcast is pleased to welcome in as our guest for today, Holly Rotundi, who is the executive director of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial. Holly, Thanks so much for taking your time to join us here uh, in late January. Good morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here and talking about a something that's very close to our hearts. So we, we appreciate being on here with you. Well, and we're going to go ahead and tell the folks what we're talking about here because it's going to be coming up. Uh, it's already been in the news one time with a striking ceremony up at West Point, but it's going to be in the news even more so as we get into Leap Day in uh, the month of February, and that is that fact that there will be a Greatest Generation commemorative coin, and it's going to benefit the Friends of the National World War II Memorial. How excited are you about this coin coming out? We are so thrilled, and it's even more appropriate because it actually commemorates the 20th anniversary of the World War II Memorial, which was dedicated in 2004, in May 2004. So this is a really big year for us, and we're really excited to highlight it with this amazing set of commemorative coins in honor of the World War II Memorial. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later on, but first let's get uh, folks familiar with the fact here that we're talking about the Friends of the National World War II Memorial. Now some folks may be familiar and may have visited the facility there in D.C., but uh, this organization is dedicated to supporting that memorial. Correct. So the Friends of the National World War II Memorial was founded by the folks who built the World War II Memorial. They were part of the American Battle Monuments Commission. And once the memorial was dedicated, it was handed over to the National Park Service for care and maintenance. But our 
organization, our founders really felt like there needed to be a continuing commemorative and educational experience to the memorial and also wanted to provide support to the park service so that this memorial is always uh, cared for in the way that we all want it to be. Is there a particular group of people who can be involved with the Friends of the World War II Memorial? All are welcome. We are a national organization. We are based in Washington, D.C., but we have virtual programming, educational program monthly. Um, and we have uh, a teacher's conference that we hold in Washington, D.C. each year. We have a, a big social media presence. So, And we also just have commemorations at the World War II Memorial annually throughout the year. And we welcome all to attend and take part, meet our World War II veterans, take part in seeing this magnificent memorial, which has stood for nearly 20 years. Now, the idea that uh, we're talking about World War II, I know that there was a very special ceremony last year uh, at the memorial, and the idea that we are coming up on the 80th anniversary of the uh, historic D-Day coming up in June. Uh, how are you finding that uh, the, the public is educated about World War II itself? You know, it's interesting. There's, I we're finding that young people are not um, being taught as much, I, and it's through no fault of the teachers. They're amazing. Our teachers are amazing, but just given the challenges that they face, the school districts, the politics, World War II is eighty years past, and it's sort of becoming less integral into the um, what our students are learning. So it's become a major focus for us is getting into the high schools, teaching them about what these 16 million men and women did for our country, literally the world, saving the world, and also how it was a collective effort. A big word we use is unity. The whole nation had to come together to win the war, and and we did. And it was one of the most, the crowning achievement, I think, in U.S. history, when you think about it, uh, what this country accomplished for the world. And so for us, education is such an important element um, of what we do in high school education. But uh, we, we want to share the everyday stories of the men and women who served. These were extraordinary men and women uh, who who really gave up their youth for all of us. And that's where I think the relatability comes into this, because if you go back those 80 plus years ago, the uh, high school student of today, uh, the high school student of uh, the 1940s was the one who had to make the sacrifice at the forefront. And uh, so you can just kind of close your eyes and imagine what the world was like back then and knowing that your nation was under siege basically. And uh, I, I think that that in itself starts the eye-opening process. It really does. And when I think I, I've become so close, I've been with the World War II Memorial, the Friends of the World War II Memorial for almost 11 years now. And I've met so many amazing World War II veterans and their stories are so different, but the values that they exude are, are so similar. The, the values of community and country and service uh, and sacrifice. And, you know, I'm uh, there's a World War II veteran, Harry Miller, who's down at the World War II Memorial probably every week. And he's meeting with the people there and the children and telling them his story and 
sharing the stories of those with whom he served. Uh, he he joined up at 15 years old. He was in the Battle of the Bulge at 16 years old. And there's so many stories like that. And, and we really don't want to lose them to history. We want to make sure that the, these men and women are remembered. Obviously, the memorial dedicated to the fallen. But as we'd mentioned before, I mean, this was totally a unification of the nation because there were efforts ongoing on domestic soil that didn't, if, you know, the wars you think of the fighting troops. But in World War II, the American way was more than just the fighting troops. Sacrifices were made by everybody, as we as we should understand. That is exactly right. And one of the things that the memorial does very well is it recognizes all of those who served. It recognizes the entire generation, the greatest generation. One of the most important symbols for our uh, founders and actually became a part of our logo is the bronze rope that links the state and territorial pillars throughout the memorial because the rope re represents the unity of the country at the time of the war and really represents that it was an all-in effort for every American citizen. And that also leads into the idea that part of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial involves the concept of community service and how we have to build our strength, using the word unity once again, how we have to build our strength today because of the lessons we learned from World War II. That's exactly right. We are, one of our um, pivotal programs is an annual summer teachers conference where we bring teachers from all across the country to Washington DC each year at no cost to them. And we have them take part in an immersive program, a week long program here in DC. But because of our investment in them, we're asking them to return to their communities and make an investment in those communities and working with their students on a community, a year long community service project when we, they return. So that's a, always been a very critical part of what we do is really, you know, reflecting on the service to country and to community that was present back in the 40s and really reviving that today. So then how does an educator, if I'm an educator who may not have been aware of this, how does an educator find out about the opportunities that they have with friends? They can visit our website. It's www www.iimemorialfriends.org. And we have uh, our application is now online. They can apply for our summer, our 2024 Summer Teachers Conference. And uh, we hope to see them in July. And that's uh, another place where you can go to to get plenty of information far beyond what we're going to be covering here today. But I mentioned it earlier on, you know, in my thoughts, 1944 pivotal year with uh, the June 6th with the D-Day. And it's my understanding that uh, anytime there is a significant remembrance from World War II, it's the friends of the National World War II Memorial who take the lead to make sure the nation uh, understands what went on back then. That's right. We host ceremonies annually at the World War II Memorial on VE Day, May 8th, Memorial Day. VJ Day, September 2nd, Veterans Day, Pearl Harbor Day, and also with D-Day on June 6th. So we're going to be having a, a 80th anniversary commemoration at the World War II Memorial on June 6th. We also just recently dedicated a new addition to the memorial. It was a, a nine-year project uh, that the Friends had the lead in fundraising and building an addition to the memorial that was um, 
was asked for by Congress, which was to add FDR's D-Day prayer in its entirety to the World War II Memorial. And so we there was an area of the memorial this book that we called a circle of remembrance, slightly outside of the Atlantic Arch of the memorial. And we um, restored that area and added a bronze plaque with the words that FDR prayed on June 6, 1944. It would seem to me that a project of this nature, and certainly that enhances the visitor's experience when they come to the memorial itself, it seemed to me that something like this, in addition to be a, a time-consuming, it would also be a lot of uh, financial involvement. And we'll talk a little bit more about how the coins can play a role in that. But uh, do, does corporate America get involved in helping out? We have had some su support from corporate America, though FDR D-Day prayer was a generous uh, contribution from the Lilly Endowment in Indianapolis. Uh, we're very grateful to that. And some other um, donors supported that. But it's mostly individuals that support the organization and allow us to continue with the commemorative and educational programs to promote the World War II Memorial and that generation. And that's where uh, the numismatists can come in and do their part as well. As we mentioned, uh, that there's going to be these commemorative coins about that. How is the organization Friends of the National World War II Memorial going to be benefiting from the purchase of these coins? So the surcharges from the sales of the coins, which will be a gold coin, a silver coin, and the clad half dollar coin, will, uh, and there'll be a three- uh, coin set will the surcharges will go to the friends of the National World War II Memorial for the purpose of maintenance of the memorial, which is needed, as well as the commemorative and educational programming that we've been talking about today. Well, and they, uh, those readers of Coin World may have understood that uh, we had this project coming up because it was just a striking ceremony uh, held in West Point. You didn't get to go to that, did you? I actually it was in Philadelphia the Philadelphia oh, that one. okay yeah yes it was the Philadelphia and I did get to go and I got to strike a coin and I did not anticipate it was the first time I'd ever participated in something like that and um it was very impressive the whole um pr process I was really overwhelmed it was really moving you get the idea of what uh, numismatists go through. And this is all part of the Greatest Generation Commemorative Coin Act, which uh, was passed into law as Public Law 117-162 on August 3rd, 2022. But it's taken almost two years to get those coins out there. They're going to be on sale on February 29th. And as uh, Holly mentioned here, the surcharges will directly benefit to supporting the effort for uh, the National Park Service to help maintain the memorial as well as for the educational programs and the commemoration programs for the special events that we're going to be having coming up right there. So these are uh, exciting times for us to get the coin. Has your experience in Philadelphia turned you into a numismatist? Can we get you interested in our <laughs> hobby? I think so. I um it like I said, it was like nothing I've ever participated in. And the folks at the mint at the Philadelphia Mint really took the time to explain the process. And I was sort of a wide-eyed kid watching it all. And um, and then being able to do that strike was it was fantastic. Well, and again, you, what is fantastic is the work that you and the friends are doing to uh, help keep the flame burning, as, as they say, because 
uh, a lot of folks who were born afterwards. I mean, I myself, grandson of a veteran of World War II, and I, I totally understand that sometimes uh, some of the current generation doesn't get the appreciation for the sacrifices made in the nation as a whole, but more specifically as our troops and uh, the efforts by the National uh, World War II Memorial, uh, now coming up on 20 years, and uh, the organization, the Friends, that was formed uh, just a few years after that. Great job at what they do. Once again, give us the website and any way that uh, folks can help out and any way educators can get involved to help get the message spread in the manner in which it should. Sure. The website is www.wwiimemorialfriends.org. And you can go on that website and you can find out all about the coin and how to purchase your coin and secure your piece of history. And you can find out all about our educational programming. We have a monthly virtual conference that people can take part in. It's all free. Uh, we have our summer teachers conference annually coming up in July that you can apply for. So we have, and we have a host of ceremonies taking place, including the 80th anniversary of D-Day and the 80th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge taking place in December. So we have a lot going on this year, and we really hope that as many people who can get to the World War II Memorial will join us there for these really special events. And of course, don't forget another way that you can support the Friends of the National World War II Memorial is by making a purchase beginning on February 29th of any one of the options of the commemorative coins honoring, honoring the greatest generation. They're available in clad as the proof and the uncirculated, also in gold in proof and uncirculated, and the silver proof and uncirculated, and there will be a three-coin set. You can go to the Mint's website at usmint.gov and find out more information. We've been speaking with Holly Rotundi, the Executive Director of the Friends of the National World War, World War II Memorial, and Holly, once again, thank you for all the work you're doing and thank you for spending the time today to share the message with us. Thank you so much. It's a great honor. And I do hope everyone will secure their coin. We're really hoping that there can be a bit of a viral movement where people will get their coin, put a, some, a social media post of them and talk about the veteran in their life. That they, it's a great way to spread the word about those who served. So it can do a double duty of not just getting your coin and helping support the memorial, but you can also share the story of your loved one who may have served. And you can live it every day when you have that coin in your possession. Great. Thanks once again, Holly. Thank you. Well, thank you, Holly. Holly Rotundi, the Executive Director of the Friends of the National World War II Memorial. And that is the organization that is the beneficiary of the surcharges of the commemorative coins, which will begin on sale on February 29th. It's a leap year this year, so we get a February 29th. But uh, you got the individual coins hey, and you got the three coins set. What about that? It? That that means another day of work. It's, it's true. When it falls on the weekend, it's better that way. But, uh, you know, sometimes it messes with your pay schedule, too. So and, yeah. uh, you know, speaking, I just uh, I, like I said earlier, uh, you know, we only remember the numismatic auctions LLC having their big sale. You can start registering online on Monday, which is another holiday, President's Day. But you can start registering for the uh, sale beginning uh, closing on November, on uh, February 26th, 27th and 28th. You can register beginning on the 19th on that. Start. Actually, you can bid. You can register anytime, but you can start your bids anytime. If you're interested in U.S. and Canadian, your first day, the 26th, is where you're going to focus your efforts. There's going to be world from Albania to Great Britain, uh, including the Chinas, 
On the second day, five, uh, lot 536 to 1054, and then we're going to take the alphabet from Greece to Zanzibar and beyond for the final day there. So whatever you're interested in, there's going to be something to, that's going to appeal to you. So you need to check out the uh, lots. They're on uh, availability right now at numismaticauctionsllc.com. Just simply check the uh, area you're looking for and check out all the lots. Get yourself registered and throw in a bid right there after the 19th. Our thanks to Steve Davis and uh, his his fine efforts here. I mean, I used to think that I worked hard, but then I got to know Steve Davis. And now whenever it gets really busy around here, I just think about him because that man is a, is a machine. There's no question in my mind. So, well, speaking of machines, I think it's about time we give this one a rest. So thank you for the insight into the Berlin World Money Fair and also the book that I'm now going to have to go seeking since you already sent yours to Chris. Then, uh, you know, we're going to keep busy for sure. We hope you've had some fun along the line here in our podcast, and we invite you to come back and join us next time for more numismatic information and enjoyment and historical information and shenanigans of who knows what. In the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.